Take your Bibles and turn with me to John 16, beginning verse 5. John chapter 16, beginning verse 5. Next Sunday, as we gather together here, we'll be coming to come around the Lord's table. We do that monthly, almost without fail. Sometimes things distract us and we don't get it in a month, but typically we do. And this next Sunday, we will come to the Lord's table. I want you to think about that this week. I want you to meditate. You, you can find passages in the Gospels where the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper is talked about and described there in the Gospels. You can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and hear the Apostle Paul's description of that and how he was taught that by Christ in the wilderness at Arabia and what he was taught and how to come to the Lord's table. And I just want to ask you this week to take some time, and we'll try to get that in an email to remind you, but take some time to just meditate on and think about the Lord's Supper and coming to the Lord's table in that time. Because it's, going to be, it's always an important time. It's always a, a time that we cannot let become rote, and we cannot let become just a ritual that we do. It's a time where we come before the Lord in special communion, and so I invite you to think about that this week and meditate on that this week as we prepare to come to his table next Sunday morning. This morning, we're looking, continuing in Jesus' upper, disc, upper room discourse, although probably have already left the upper room because of, at the end of chapter 15, it said, let's get out, let's leave here, or at chapter 14, it said, let's get up and go out of here. But he's still preparing his disciples for what is just a few hours away. His betrayal, his trial for what it's worth, it was a mock trial, and then ultimately his crucifixion and his burial and his resurrection. And he's, he's talking to them in very intimate tones, in very intimate terms, wanting them to understand that, that while this is tragic from man's perspective, and it's very discouraging to them and very sorrow-filling to them, Yet it's not the end of the world, literally. It's not the end of the world. And it's not even the end of the ministry that has been begun there in Galilee by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not even the end of, of what we would call the, 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 the coming of Christ and the revelation of God through Christ. There's so much more to come, uh, even after his resurrection, even after his ascension. That's why I had Brother Todd read that passage out of the first chapter of Acts this morning, because Luke recording that just continues on the story. It does not end with his death and burial and even his resurrection, but it continues on. But here, beginning verse 5, Jesus is still seeking to comfort them. He's still seeking to show them that there is much yet to be done and much yet to come. As a matter of fact, he acknowledges in verse 5 that, that they are, or excuse me, in verse 6, that they are sorrowful. Just hear the word of the Lord. Verse 5, but now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow, grief has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the paraclete, the comforter, the counselor shall not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you. And he, that is the Holy Spirit, 
And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer behold me physically. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall take of mine and shall disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said, he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. And in verse 16, where we're going to get next week, he says, A little while, and you will no longer behold me. And again, a little, in a little while, you will see me. Speaking in reference there, I think, to his death and then to his resurrection. This is the word of our Lord. Jesus, in speaking to those disciples, says several things here that I want you to clearly see. He first of all says, I want you to know that it is to your advantage that I leave. It's to your advantage that I go to the cross and die. Now, there's a multi-level advantage there. There's obviously the advantage that he go to the cross, he die as a, as a propitiation, as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. It's to our advantage that he went to the cross and he hung there and was our substitute and was our sacrifice. There's no doubt about that. We would have not, we would not have salvation had it not been for that sacrifice and him going to do that and dying. That's clear. But here he's speaking a little more in a specific and, 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 and general way for everyday life. He says, it's going to be to your advantage that I'm not here standing right in front of you. Now, these disciples were like you and I would have been. How can that be the case, Lord? I mean, let's face it. We're here with you. You're teaching us. We're seeing you do all these miracles. You're feeding 5,000. You're, you're calling people, causing people to have been, been lame for 30 years to take up their pallet and walk. You're, you're causing people who have been blind from birth to see. I mean, we're seeing tremendous things. We're hearing you with our ears every day. You're right here with us. How is it going to be to our benefit that you will go away? So sorrow filled their hearts. They grieved. You've lost loved ones. You know what it's like to grieve. You've lost someone that really meant a lot to you. Maybe someone that was very, very, very close to you. Maybe a husband or a wife or a, or a child or a parent. Somebody that you just really leaned on. You really depended on. You, you, you really loved dearly. I, I had never had the privilege after being an adult of living near my parents, but I always knew I had that telephone I could pick up and call them and talk with them. That meant a lot. And I'll never forget the first, first several years after my dad died. I remember several times going to the telephone and picking it up with the intent of calling dad just to talk just to hear his voice just to be able to to ask him something and, and just hear his wisdom and, 
and I grieve that I didn't have that. That's what these, that's what these disciples are looking at, except you can magnify that a lot, of, a, a lot more than how you would feel it in the loss of a, just a general human relationship. So they were sorrowful. They were grieving. They were hurting. They did not want Jesus to leave. At any cost, at any, I mean, you're going to see later, you're going to see Peter, he's going to, he's going to try to, to prevent it by pulling a knife and, and striking out at the high priest's servant. He has a, a great plan there, not to cut off his ear, which he ultimately does, but to cut off his head. He just misses because the servant probably ducked. I mean, they're, they're willing to do whatever it takes, humanly speaking, to not let Jesus leave them. And Jesus says here, I want you to understand something. It is to your advantage that I go away. It's going to be to your advantage that I'm not here because I'm going to go away and I'm going to send the helper, the paraclete, the counselor, the, 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 the one who will come alongside you. I'm going to send one who will come and dwell in your life and be a part of your life and minister to you in, in a very spiritual and very special and very practical way that you will not experience if I'm not if I don't go away, if I stay here. Now, Jesus is not saying here that the Holy Spirit and, and he can't occupy the same space at the same time. The triunity of God is just as perfect as the trinity of God, and, and the Spirit was present there. He's not saying, well, I've got to go, so a separate entity who's, who's totally separate from me will come. He is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a, 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 an entity of himself in one sense, but, but the Holy Spirit and Jesus and the Father are one. And so you can't see Jesus saying here, i got to go away because if I don't unoccupy this space, the Holy Spirit can't occupy it. It's not what he's saying at all. He's just saying there's going to be a special, new, and unique relationship. It's still a relationship with me. He said several times, I'm still going to be with you. It's just not going to be in a physical body. It's just not going to be in a, a body that you can touch and you'll see, you won't see me eating meals with you and you won't see me, you won't see me doing these miracles one-on-one -on -one as you've seen me, but I'll still be with you. He's going to say in the Great Commission, he's going to say, I'm going to depart. I'm, I, I, lo, I'm going. I'm giving you authority. I'm, I've been given all authority. I'm sharing that authority with you and I'm departing, but lo, I'm with you always, even at the ends, even at the end of the age. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you as those who don't have someone who loves them because you do have someone that loves you. But I'm going away, and it's to your advantage, and I'm going to send a helper. And I will send him to you. And when he comes, he's going to begin a work unlike any work perhaps the world's ever seen. It's going to be a universal work. It's going to be a worldwide work. It's going to be something... That, that's not localized in, in Palestine. It's not going to just be localized in my physical body, walking around and saying it and doing it. The Holy Spirit's going to come, and He's going to do a work throughout the whole world. He's going to bring conviction. He's going to bring illumination. He's going to bring understanding that, that the world doesn't have right now and never has had. And He says He's going to do this basically in three areas. He said, when He comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. We typically don't have any trouble understanding what, we, what we're talking about when we say he's going to come and convict of sin. The Holy Spirit is the primary sin convictor. 
He's the one who comes and says to those who are in the world and to those who are in the church, you have sin in your life. He's the one who calls us to account. He's the one who, in our lives as believers, when we sin, he's that voice that says, that is wrong. It's that voice that says, you have disobeyed God. It's that voice that says, you need to come to a point of confession and repentance before the Lord. That's the Holy Spirit working within us, convicting us of sin. Because we do still struggle with sin, even as believers. But the Spirit does not leave us alone in that sin. The the Spirit does not leave us to enjoy that sin. The Spirit does not leave us to say, oh, well, that's okay. Don't worry about it. You ought to worry about it. You ought to be concerned about it because we are called as as disciples of Jesus Christ to lives of holiness. You've heard me use the illustration before. I used it out in the Bible conference in California a couple of weeks ago. It, It always comes back when I start thinking about conviction of sin and the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. And it's the difference between a sheep and a pig. You know, you, you can clean up a pig, you can wash them, put perfume on them, curl their little tail and put a bow on it. I don't guess you have to curl it, it's already curly, isn't it? But you put a bow on it, put a bow on their ears. Oh, a pig, pig actually cleaned up, looks pretty cute. You can clean up a sheep, give it a little haircut, make it look really nice. Make sheep look a poodle if you want to. I mean, you can do all sorts of things. But you clean them up, they look nice. Then you let them out. They're walking down the road. And there's this big old mud puddle on the side of the road. And the sheep and the pig are both walking down the road. And and all of a sudden, they both stumble and they fall in the mud puddle. The sheep's natural reaction is to get up out of the mud and go find some clean water and get that stuff off of him. It's not natural. Sheep's a believer. Sheep's one who follows the great shepherd. And and when a sheep falls into sin in the mud puddle, it is so unnatural for him to be there, it's so uncomfortable for him or her to be there that they have to get up and go go to confession before the Lord, not confession to a priest, confession before the Lord, and confess that and and be cleansed of it. And then they're, they're happy again. They're joyful again. The pig, on the other hand, the unbeliever. Pig falls in the mud puddle. After being cleaned up, perfumed, bows on his tail, the pig says, Ah, oh, now this is home. This is where I want to be. And he turns over and he wallows and he, you know, just gets it all over him. And he says, This is this is the life. This is what I want out of life. That's the pig. Because there's no internal spirit convicting of sin. The sheep's nature is one of cleanliness, if you will. The Christian's nature is one of holiness. It's what we're called to. And the spirit will continue to bring about conviction in the believer's life until the cleansing takes place. The pig has no internal spirit. The unbeliever doesn't have the internal spirit convicting. Now, there's a role of the spirit in the unbeliever's life. We'll see that in a minute. But in the believer's daily walk, that's how, I, that's how I know when someone comes to me and says, Bill, I don't know if I'm a Christian or not. I say, why do you, why do you say that? They say, well, I, I just struggle with sin all the time. I find myself feeling guilty about sin all the time. I, I find myself having to confess sin all the time. I said, sounds like you're a believer. They look at me kind of funny. What, what do you mean? Sounds like I'm a believer. I'm struggling with sin. 
Yeah, and only a believer struggles with sin. An unbeliever just lays there, enjoys it, just kind of bask in it. It's the difference. So Jesus says, I'm sending the Spirit. It's, it's, it's advantageous for me to go away for you because I will send the Spirit who will convict sin. Even in your life, Peter. Even in your life, John. Even in your life, Bill. Because in this life, you're still going to struggle with sin. But also, he will convict the world concerning sin. It's not just believers. He will convict the world concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Basically, it's the work of the Spirit to bring about conviction of sin and to bring about a conviction that Christ is the Messiah, that He is the King, that He is the Lord. And the Spirit's work is moving throughout the world, applying the joys of salvation to those who believe. I mean, He's the one that opens our eyes to see to believe. It's the Spirit who's going about convicting the world of sin. Have you ever seen anybody come to faith in Christ? Or if you hadn't, it's a joyous thing to see because there is, a, there is an expression that just is, is a, an expression of freedom, an expression of cleanliness, an expression of holiness that is, is just unlike anything you've ever seen. A person comes to faith in Christ and they realize what the old life was. And they realize where they were and now they realize by the Spirit's power they've been convicted of that sin and by the Spirit's in, in, in power within their life they have confessed and believed in Jesus Christ and that sin has been forgiven and cleansed away and man they are a new creature the scripture says the Spirit's going to come he's going to convict you of sin to bring you into holiness he's going to convict the world those in the world of sin who need to come to Christ because they don't believe in me, Jesus said. Verse 9, I, I'm, he's going to convict them of sin, the world of sin, because they do not believe in me. Verse 10, he says, and, and also concerning righteousness. Now, if the Spirit is convicting the world that they have sin, that sin is a part of their life, that sin is that rebellion against God of which they need to repent and trust in Christ, what in the world does he mean that he's going to convict the world of righteousness? Does that mean that he's then going to say, okay, now let me show you, let me, the Spirit's going to show you how righteous you really are in and of yourself? No. That would be a contradiction. He says it's going to con concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer behold me. Jesus is saying there, listen, they have had a picture of righteousness before them for three years in my ministry. They have seen what righteousness is. Jesus was a man without sin, without guile, without any kind of retaliation. He, he, didn't, you know, he was tempted even as we are out in the wilderness, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. He was tempted in every way that you and I are tempted, every single way. But the only thing different was he didn't sin. And you do. And I do. But here he has been for three, and, three to three and a half years living before the world. Not in hiding. He's gone among the people and they've seen his life. They've seen a vivid personification of righteousness. Now that life is going to be gone. But the Spirit is going to come and going to convict about what righteousness is. 
again, he does that in the life of the believer. He does that in the life of the believer to show you that you are only righteous in Christ. Clothed in the righteousness of Christ alone. That when you are in Christ, you have that righteousness. But he convicts in the world to show them they have sin, but also to show them they have no righteousness. None. They're not righteous on their own. Their good deeds, Isaiah says, are like filthy rags. So he convicts of sin, convicts of righteousness, and concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Isn't that amazing? Crucifixion hadn't taken place yet. Resurrection hadn't taken place yet. The ascension hadn't taken place yet. And certainly the second coming hadn't taken place yet. And yet Jesus says, I want you to understand something. The Spirit is going to convict the world and show the world that even though Satan goes about roaring like a, like a lion, seeking who he may devour, desiring to destroy, desiring to consume, even though Satan is, is loud and boisterous and, and still tempts and still sings all sorts, brings all sorts of problems in this world, I, I, I want you to know he's already judged. I, I, remember, I think it was... Puritan Gurnell, who wrote on spiritual warfare, about a multi-volume set. Gurnell said, you know, he, he roars and he screams and he looks ferocious, but when he opens his mouth, he's toothless. He's a toothless lion because he has already been judged. Jesus said, I want you to know this. He's talking to these He's talking to this band of disciples who's been with for all this time. And he says, I want you to know this. Because it's important that you realize that you're sorrowful now. But in just a few days, in just a few days, that sorrow is going to break forth into joy. We'll talk about that some next week. That, that sorrow is going to break forth into joy in a very real and very practical sense. And you're going to understand not many days from now that you're going to understand the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, and it's going to be something like you've never experienced before. And he wasn't just talking to those 12, those 11, and Paul that would follow later. He wasn't just talking to those who were gathered in that upper room and saying, okay, this is just for you, I want you to know. But what he was saying to them was, you are about to see an explosion of grace you're about to see an explosion of the gospel you're about to see an explosion of power that this room cannot contain and indeed palestine cannot contain it will fill the whole world as the holy spirit moves out to do his work but his work is not some kind of magical some kind of mystical some kind of thing that leaves us out his work is done through his through jesus disciples his work is done through those who follow him listen to what he says there he says in verse 12 he said i want you to understand there are many more things i got to say to you i have many more things to say to you but you can't bear them now i can imagine these disciples were on overload they were saying, don't tell me anything else. I can't bear it. But he says, but when the spirit of truth comes, 
When I have gone away and I have sent my spirit, the spirit of truth, total truth, absolute truth, God's truth, true truth, however you want to say it. When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose it to you, to you what is to come. And he will glorify me, for he shall take of mine and shall disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Will give it to you. Will make it known to you. There's the great teacher. There's a great teacher. That's what this Holy Spirit, that's who this Holy Spirit is going to be. He's going to be ultimately and primarily a teacher of truth. You know truth in your life, then you know truth probably because the Holy Spirit has, has shown that to you from God's Word, from Christ's words, and has applied that to your life, and, you, and you're now able to live it out and you're able to speak it out. You're able to share it with others. It's this truth that the Spirit enlightens the Word in our heart. It's this truth that the Spirit says, look to Christ, look to the cross, look to His sacrifice, look to what He has done. That is the essence and the foundation of all truth. And He says, when I leave, the Spirit of truth is going to come and He will guide you into all the truth. Now, I know we, we live in a world, we, li we live in a world that says truth is it's just relative. Everybody has their own truth, you know, carrying around in my pocket. When it's convenient, I pull it out and say, this is my truth. You say, well, that's not my truth. Well, it's mine. You can have yours. I'll have mine, and we'll all just, I love the bumper sticker, we'll all just coexist. You know, it's all coexist. Well, we will coexist on this earth. I hope so. To not coexist is to take up arms and shoot one another or plant bombs in places to kill. I mean, that's, I want us to coexist in the world. I wish they would all come to Christ and see the truth that is in Him, but we'll coexist. I'm not trying to forcefully make anybody a Christian. I don't want a law passed that says, You've you got to be a Christian if you're going to be in this country, you know? I don't, I don't want a law passed that says you've got you to live by the Ten Commandments, and if you don't live by the Ten Commandments, then you will be punished because you're not living by the Ten Commandments. That, that's not what the gospel is. The gospel is that the Holy Spirit will come, He will teach and lead us into all truth, and then we as His disciples... Those who have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, those whom he has given the power of the Spirit, he'll talk about later, this power, this dunamis that comes from the Holy Spirit, then we are filled with that and we go out and we share the gospel. And I love this. He doesn't hold us responsible for other people believing. He holds us responsible for taking it. He holds us responsible for sharing it. He holds us responsible for believing it. But it's not our responsibility to convert anybody. You know why? <laughs> we can't do it. You know who can do it? The Holy Spirit. 
And, and we go in his power, we go in his strength, and God prepares the way, and God may use you to see a conversion take place. But, but you don't go back and, and run to somebody and say, you know what, I saved so-and-so. I converted so-and-so. You know, David Wells, years ago, wrote a book. book's a great book. I, I encourage you to read it, but the title is classic. The title of the book is God the Evangelist. And the whole book's about the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and basically, Wells' premise from Scripture is that, you know, honestly, we, we go out as an evangelist. We go out to share the gospel but if we don't have the evangelist with us, God, the Holy Spirit, with us, empowering us, enlightening us, showing us, then, then we're not really evangelists at all. Because he's the one who's the evangelist who works through us and uses us for his glory. I like that. I like that. Takes, takes a lot of guilt off of me that I'm not doing something that I can't do to begin with but I am responsible to share it. I am responsible to, to bear his truth. I am responsible to show what has been given to me by the Holy Spirit. And, and I like the way Jesus says it here. I would like the way Jesus says it, if I'm smart. And that's in verse 13. He will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He, shall, he will glorify me. There's the primary work of the Spirit. You want to know if the Spirit's at work? You probably won't hear a lot of talk about the Spirit. There's a lot of talk about Jesus. He will glorify me. He will point to me. And, and he will take of mine everything that the Father has given me, everything that I have, everything that is mine, he will take of mine and he will disclose it to you. Wow. You talk about riches and the depths of knowledge. You talk about riches and the depths of wisdom. It's what the Holy Spirit takes that belongs to Jesus, and through His Word and by His Spirit, He teaches us, He discloses it to us. And in all things that the Father has are mine, Jesus says, therefore, I said, he, that is the Holy Spirit, takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Let me tell you something. You want to have the wisdom of God? James says, do you lack wisdom? Then ask for it. He'll give it. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So do you lack wisdom on, on certain situations in your life or, or, or certain decisions you've got to make or, or certain things? Then, then ask God. Go before God as a believer and say, listen, I ask you, Lord, give me wisdom for this circumstance. Give me wisdom for this decision. Give me wisdom for this career choice. Give me, this, give me wisdom for, for whatever it is I need right now, Lord. I'm asking you. But let me tell you something. The, typically, the way he does it is the Holy Spirit doesn't just zap you. Boom, do that. But he takes you to the words of God. The word of God. And the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to understand what Christ and what God is teaching us through his, his infallible, inerrant, sufficient word. 
This is sufficient for everything you need. Does it tell you everything? No. Does it tell you everything you need? Yes. Will you gain wisdom by spending time in it prayerfully? Yes. Will you learn more what it means to know of the Holy Spirit's work in your life because you're spending time studying, meditating on, concentrating on God's Word? Yes. Will you lack wisdom if you're not in the Word? Yes. Will you make foolish decisions if you're not in the Word? Yes. It's simple. I mean, it's just simple. That, that, that's what Jesus is saying. He's, he's going to take what's mine and he's going to give it to you. He's going to take my knowledge, my wisdom, my power, my presence, and he's going to give it to you. And the whole time he's going to point to Christ and say, here's, the, here's my work, the Holy Spirit says. My work is to glorify Jesus. Now, I'm working in your life. Here's what your work is. Guess what it is? Now, you can guess. Glorify Jesus. Thank you. Just want a little feedback. You sure that the one hour lost sleep hadn't lulled you into oblivion or something? Yeah. Glorify Christ. That's to be our passion. That's to be our goal. That's to be our life. So I thought, oh, my passion ought to be to make a million dollars. Nah. It's going to get burned up or stolen or lost or something easy come easy go the glory of Christ in your life never ceases when your life is committed to the passion of glorifying I'm not saying you won't make a million dollars most of us won't but I'm not saying you won't be the one to do it but your focus can't be on that your focus has got to be on the glory of Christ that's what the spirit does in your life he glorifies christ and then you live out of that and live out of his power and live out of his presence and what he's doing in you you just want to naturally do see that's the that's the key to evangelism folks several years ago and i i did this boy when i was in my 20s somehow the church decided to make evangelism a program you know here Here's a four spiritual laws, or here's a how to have an abundant life, or here's a five steps to Jesus, whatever. You know, and, and, it's program. and we had seminars. Oh, man. And when I was in my early 20s, if you hadn't been to an evangelism seminar, you just were not where you ought to be spiritually, you know? You just, you just didn't cut it. I remember looking at friends and saying, well, you haven't been to a leadership evangelism training seminar? Mm, mm, mm. You made it a program. You said, this is what you got to do. You just got to go through the program and don't, don't de deviate from the program. You know, that's what the Mormons do. They train their missionaries the program. You get them, I don't encourage you to invite them in because they're, they're programmed to the hilt and they know every word. But, and, and you start trying to ask them questions, though, and get them off key, off their program, they will leave. So got it programmed. And we got guilty of that. We'd take people into homes and we'd say, let's share the gospel. I'll share first, then later you can share. Okay, we'll do that. And I open the, you'd open the book and share it. And if somebody asked a question that didn't fit into those four points, you know what to say. So you left. 
head down, I failed. Evangelism is not a program, folks. Evangelism is living in the power of the Holy Spirit and desiring, above everything else, to glorify Christ. Glorify Christ. Now, you need to know the essence of the gospel. You need to know that man's a sinner and can't save himself and that Christ came and lived a perfect life and died on the cross that men might be saved if they believe in him. The Scripture says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The scripture says you confess the Lord with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. You need to know that that death was a propitiatory death to appease the wrath of God and save you from his wrath and save you to eternal life. I mean, you, you need to know that Christ died and that he raised on the third day and that resurrection validated everything he said. And you need to know that he's coming again. And you need to be able to tell people that. Even show them that in the word of God, not in a fresh little booklet or something but show them that in the word of God and then leave the results to the Holy Spirit focus on glorifying Jesus so the gospel does that folks the gospel talks about Christ the gospel talks about what he has done what he has accomplished what he came to do and, and that's what we need to be glorifying that exposing that sharing that and that's all it is but it has to begin it has to begin with a desire with a passion with a life that says you know above everything else above, above my comfort above my wealth, above my fun, even above, well, I won't go there, above everything else. I want to just glorify Christ. I want people to look at me and say, why are you different? And not say, oh, I'm just a good person. Because what Christ has done in my life, that's, that's the only way to explain it. What does that mean? Well, let me tell you what that means. Did you know that man's a sinner? He's walked through that whole thing. But the passion has to be, I want to glorify him. I want to honor him. I want the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, to so fill my life that it just flows out of. Tonight in my class, we're going to be looking at the historical book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, however you want to, whatever you want to call it. But there's one thing in there. Jesus commanded that we be filled with the Spirit. And in our day, we've made being filled with the Spirit all sorts of things. We'll talk about that a little bit tonight in my class. But, but here's what I want you to see. Go through the book of Acts on your own and look at every time it says, and they were filled with the Spirit. And, and see what it says. You know what it usually says? 99% of the time. And they were filled with the Spirit. And they boldly proclaimed the gospel. And they were filled with the Spirit. And they boldly spoke of Christ. And they were filled with the Spirit. And the people heard the message of the gospel. I mean, that's over and over. That's what? 
Being filled with the Spirit is being obedient, yes. It's, it's being filled up and changed from inside and the fruit of the Spirit being born. But the ultimate, the ultimate proof of being filled with the Spirit is not something that's, you know, strange. It's just sharing the gospel. Just sharing Christ. Is that your desire? Is that your passion? Is that your goal? Do you even think about it? Think about it. Let's pray. Holy Father, we bow before you. Thanking you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit that you have sent. The Spirit of truth. The Spirit who will take of what belongs to Jesus, wisdom, understanding, and will give it to us. By his work, through your word, into our life. Father, break our hearts if our passion is not to glorify Christ. Lord, break our hearts if our passion is not to exalt Him and live for His glory. I mean, the, the price you paid for our redemption was so high, so insurmountably great. a desire to tell folks how great it is. Change my heart, O oh Lord. Change my heart, O oh God. I pray that for Anyone in this room this morning that's not a believer, has never trusted Christ, never believed the gospel, I pray, Lord, right now that your Holy Spirit will change their heart to believe. And Lord, for us who have been Christians for a long time, we've allowed our heart to just kind of get, not so much hard, it's just, Indifferent. It's lukewarm. There's no passion. Change our heart too, O oh Lord. We pray in Jesus' name.